Eating disorders thrive in secrecy and shame. It's when we create a safe space for honest conversation that we'll find the opportunity for healing. Hi there, I'm Dr. Karen Nelson, licensed clinical psychologist at Melrose Center, welcoming you to Melrose Heals, a conversation about eating disorders, a podcast designed to explore, discuss, and understand eating disorders and mental health. On today's episode, we'll be sharing a story of recovery. I'm joined by Amy Harms-Hode, who will take us through her journey of diagnosis, treatment, and what it means to live in recovery. Now, before I begin, I invite you to take a deep breath and join me in this space. Welcome to the podcast, Amy. I'm just so happy to have you here with me today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, before we get started, I would love it if you could introduce yourself for our listeners. Sure. My name is Amy Harms-Hode. I am a college professor, and I'm here to talk with you about my recovery from binge eating disorder. Just some full disclosure, I have the joy of being Amy's therapist. Let's back up and, and talk about some history, Amy. Let's maybe explore kind of thinking about where the eating disorder may have began. What do you remember about that? It, it's always been in my family. Um, being, being thin is very, very, very important. And that's something I've never been. And um, as a child, you know, I didn't quite understand it, obviously, because I was a kid. But my parents, especially my mom, um, are not super affectionate people and we don't express emotions in our family. So for me, it was food, <laughs> um, you know, and food, my mom always made sure we had, you know, cookies and cakes and uh, all kinds of good things to eat. And um, so it was from a very young age, um, I would always turn to, to food and I think that sort of just conditioned me to not learn to handle my emotions and not learn to feel my feelings and instead just to eat and to comfort myself. And it progressively got worse. I could remember in high school, uh, I tried (laughs) unsuccessfully, um, but I I would try not to turn to food, but then I would find myself, you know, doing the behavior, sneaking the food, um, lying about what I was eating, things like that. And, and then once I went to college, you know, then I was by myself. I didn't, I wasn't accountable to anyone. So, um, I could kind of do really dumb things like not eat all day. And then at night, you know, order that pizza and eat the whole thing in like 20 minutes type thing. So it just it just grew out of that. I love how you're kind of explaining this this um, progression and and kind of evolution, right? You and I have spent a lot of time talking about the function of the eating, and and how eating became a way to kind of nurture feelings and comfort feelings, numb out from feelings, and that's it, really what I hear you talking about. Does that resonate for you? Definitely. And truth be told, um, it makes me really sad 
that I spent so much of my life, um, you know, just the feelings would be, I'm a pretty emotional person, as you know, and, and I'm pretty self-aware. So the feelings would be right on the edge, but so I was aware of them, but I also knew that if I started to feel them, it was going to be very uncomfortable and very painful. And so then I would just binge. And I mean, now it's been, it's been a while since, since I've really even wanted to binge. Well, I think that that is important to name, you know, that, that eating disorders, you know, we talk about it a lot on the podcast. You, you and I've talked about it a lot in individual therapy, eating disorders show up on the outside. They're this outside behavior that is attempting to manage some distress or emotion or feeling on the inside. And, and sometimes that comes through, you know, restriction. And then other times it can also come through the form of binging or feeling out of control with food. And it, it really feels like you started to notice, even from a really young age, that some feelings weren't allowed to be talked about or we didn't talk about emotion. So let's talk about that place of kind of what the eating disorder behaviors looked like for you. Um, and so to, you know, help our listeners understand the, the eating disorder behaviors that showed up most frequently for you were binge behavior and then restrict behavior. Were those the two behaviors that were most frequent for you, Amy? Yeah. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say I was purposefully restricting. I would just um, be busy and and not eat because and the the longer you do it, the more you start to feel like, oh, there's so much shame involved. And because you are so ashamed of it, you just want to be alone. So for me, I had to restrict during the day because I was with people. You know, my family was around or I was at school and my coworkers were there or I was in class or whatever. And I, I couldn't comfortably eat in front of other people. So I wouldn't eat all day. And then when I would get alone, whether it was in my car or in my office or at home, you know, then would be when I would binge. Yes. Absolutely. So this almost kind of unintentional restriction would maybe happen where because I preferred to eat alone or in secret, and that actually is a symptom of people who are struggling with binge eating disorder, this preference to eat in secret or in private, right? And, you know, now that I say it, I can see that it's clearly a sickness. But boy, when you're in the heat of the moment, you just you just want the comfort. You don't care about the ramification. You just want that comfort. Absolutely. It became my norm. It really did. Everything focused around my weight, like everything, um, any accomplishments I had, any struggles I had, any moments of joy, any moments of sadness, it just all became, um, it was always centered around my weight. And I never really believed that I would change. Mm. <laughs> you know, not believing in yourself, that, really, that does wear on a person. Wow. It, it really wears on you. And I tried so hard to keep up that front. It's exhausting. Well, it really speaks to the difference between changing behavior versus changing thinking, right? Changing uh, belief 
changing intuition. You know, when I think about eating disorder healing and treatment and recovery, absolutely we talk about the behavior, but most importantly, we talk about your beliefs, your thoughts, your perception of who I am and my worth and how I show up in this world. If I don't attack and, you know, push and explore what those that thinking is, I might feel real stuck and I might just repeat the same pattern again and again. Yes, I was just going to say it. I would just go back to what I knew, you know, and yeah, because I never I never tried to figure out. <laughs> the thinking piece. I I didn't know how. Reflecting back, what do you remember about loved ones, about how they might have um, talked to you about that? You know, are friends and family supposed to talk to you about that? Because (laughs) mine never did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, mine never brought it up. Um, And I like to believe it's because I was hiding it so well. I worked so hard at that facade. Like that was just, that was my persona for many, many, many years. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know what I was supposed to be feeling. I mean, I I just, I was in that space of no one can know how gross I am. I would talk about it with my friends, um, my sister, some of my girlfriends, my husband, obviously, unfortunately, he got the brunt of it a lot. I would talk about how I was unhappy, um, you know, being so overweight and how I, I was, you know, disgusted by my eating habits, things of that nature. But nobody ever approached me and said, you know, what's going on? I'm concerned about you. Do you wish that that would have been? I mean, now kind of, I do. tell me, like, tell me about that. This is interesting because I have thought about this a lot over the years, um, that if somebody would have just come to me and, and said, you know, this is what I'm seeing, what I'm noticing, and I'm, I'm worried about you. But, and, you know, and then part of me thinks like, like my sister who knows me so well, Part of the reason maybe she didn't ever say anything to me is because she knew how hard I was on myself about it and she didn't want to make it worse. So I don't want to, I don't want it to sound like I don't have friends and family that care about me because I do, but I think, I think there's a little bit of both. Well, Amy, let's maybe transition and talk a little bit about that kind of decision or turning point when you did decide to seek out treatment and kind of what that kind of transition or turning point was. You know, we were talking about struggling and experiencing, you know, eating disorder symptoms kind of off and on kind of throughout adulthood and working so hard to keep it hidden and secret and and just really suffering with that space of a lot of negativity and self-judgment. Tell us about that turning point when you decided to explore treatment for an eating disorder. You know, I have been, I also have depression. So I have been in counseling and therapy for a long time, 20 plus Amen. years. Way and to go therapy, yeah, right? right. <laughs> we love therapy. <laughs> okay, and yes, it, I love it. What a beautiful point, Amy. I had been in therapy 
for depression or anxiety, how often Mm -hmm. so many of my patients share. I have literally been in therapy, but I have never talked about this piece. You nailed it. Yes, that's what I was going to say. I I never talked. I mean, I would talk about my weight and how I was unhappy with it, but I never talked about the way I was eating. Yes. And I, I never talked about that shame with anyone. Good point. So it was actually my doctor that mentioned, you know, Melrose and I didn't <laughs> – no offense oh, to you, what? Karen. I didn't want to go. Oh, but then you met me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then I got you. <laughs> I hope you hear that from others. I really didn't want to do yes, this, but that is and um, beautiful. I'm so glad you named that. That there again, yeah. there's no shame in that. It's it's not wrong right. that I don't want to talk about this thing that feels uncomfortable and scary. Well, tell our listeners, what was that like to go through the initial assessment? What what was that like for you? What do you remember? I remember when you told me at the end of, of that initial assessment, you were like, well, you definitely have um, mild binge eating disorder. And I, I just remember being like, not happy with you. <laughs> <laughs> like we got off that call out, and I was like, who? <laughs> she thinks she is. Yeah. I was like, God. So again, that place, I mean, what a beautiful description of how sometimes even, you know, receiving the diagnosis can maybe even add to shame or confusion or internal judgment of like, oh my gosh, I do have this thing. Yeah. I mean, like I, it's like, it's one thing for me to think I'm this giant loser, but now a professional is basically saying it too. I was like, dang, I <laughs> like I was, yeah, it, it was not fun, not fun at all. And I think it wasn't until I started working with both of you for a little bit, you know, maybe a month or two months that I started to realize maybe I'm not as bad as I think I am because there are a lot of these people are talking like this is what they do all day, every day. So there are a lot of people out there who are like me. And and I can remember asking you that, like, do other people think this or do other people say this? And you would always be like, yes, I hear this a lot. And I'm like, wow, I, I thought I was the only That's one. That's right. Which is so, you know, how narcissistic of me. But not at all. I did. I I I just I was so in my own head and um I didn't realize that other people struggled like I did. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think it's so important to acknowledge that piece of how, you know, when we're struggling with, you know, certain mental health issues, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, how not only do they keep us, you know, stuck, but they often kind of rob us of perspective where many, many people share with me, I felt so alone in my thinking. And and to be in conversation with your therapist, with your dietitian, you know, maybe if you if you have a medical doctor on your team or occupational therapist, right? To hear like, oh, other people also struggle with this. To know that other people suffer the same way I do. And also, you know, it takes a lot of energy to pretend that you're fine. And to pretend like you don't care and like it doesn't bother you. And 
it becomes your life. And then you don't have room for other things like joy, um, spending time with like your kids and your husband and like laughing and having fun. Um, it just, it's, it just really started to suck the life out of me. Well, and I think too, I love it that you are able to, you know, acknowledge that there was a function to the eating disorder, right? There's nothing wrong with you. It's that I'm doing this thing to try and help myself feel better, but it actually is just creating more distress and chaos. And for us, you know, we talked a lot about that, I remember, right? Not that I'm wrong or bad because I'm engaging in this disorder. It's like, well, of course, because I'm just actually trying to manage all of this, these overwhelming feelings. And maybe there's a different way to do it. Let's actually talk a little bit about, you know, kind of course of treatment. The recommended treatment for people um, who are currently diagnosed with binge eating disorder uh, through Melrose is they will be offered a group. And like you said, you were kind of in that transition space, right, where we were kind of trying to figure out how to do life during COVID. Um, thankfully, though, all of the, the messaging that would have been provided through the group, you were able to receive that through your individual appointments with myself and Allison. Um, and so really, again, just, you know, a lot of our work was talking about, yes, eating, but far more than that, right? That we talked about feeling and emotion and family and sense of self, right? I mean, were any of those parts kind of, um, you know, unexpected as you moved into eating disorder treatment? <laughs> it, like I said, I've been in therapy a long time off and on with numerous therapists. So what really surprised me was how much we did not talk about food. Right. <laughs> yes. Because I really thought that's what we were going to. I'm like, okay, she's the eating disorder lady. So we are going to talk about food. And we we really hardly ever talked about that's food. Right. Um, and that did surprise me. I can remember. What surprised me, and I feel like, I don't know, maybe this is just because I didn't know what a dietitian does, but I really thought she was going to like show me, okay, at every meal you have one carb, <laughs> one protein, you right. know, whatever. And I don't think she ever said the word carb or protein Amazing. the whole time I worked with her. Yes. <laughs> and in fact, I can remember my, like my initial goals that I was working on were to like eat three meals a day, eat two snacks if I needed, you know, like it was just so simple yeah. with her. And and I, I just remember being like, this cannot be, this cannot be right. But I love it how you talk about your perception of what it was gonna be like to be in eating disorder treatment was maybe to be told, well, you have to get this many fruits and this many veggies, and then to be like, actually, like, how about you just feed your body, right? Food can be food. Well, Amy, I would love it if you could share with us um, any skills that you learned as you were moving through treatment that ended up being helpful in your recovery from an eating disorder. Well, feeling feelings for sure. And as you always like to say, well, just be curious. Yeah. About <laughs> right. Notice and pay attention. It's my two favorite things to say. And do you know how often I will say that to myself? Well, that's Hmm, that's curious. I literally that's an love interesting tab. Yes, oh, yes. Amy. So definitely, like feeling, feeling. I remember one one time you told me that 
and this was towards the beginning, you told me that emotions were like waves that they come and go and that they never stay. Um, and that you have to just, if you let them come and then feel them and let them, they will go. But then there were also just little things, um, noticing when something didn't feel right. If I had a negative thought, especially if it was about myself, instead of like coming down on myself, you really have always encouraged me to sort of notice it (laughs) and be curious about it. Beautiful. So just lots of taking the time to maybe slow down and be a little bit aware or curious in a way that I might not have before. And I love how you point out the kind of the slide of busyness, right? Because yeah, man, are there demands for our time and attention, right? We're both moms, we're both career women, right? And I think that that gave us a space to really explore a lot about what are the messages we get about, you know, am am I a better mom if I kind of sacrifice all of that I need to care for others? Like, no wonder we feel really confused if that's some of the messaging that we might receive. Amy, do you consider yourself recovered from an eating disorder? (laughs) Million dollar question. That's such a good question. That is such a good question. I still really struggle with that word recovery because uh, back to that all or none thinking, that to me sounds like somebody who has their shit together all the time and is, you know, doing really well and, and that's not me. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a hot mess most days <laughs> no, and, and I'm fine with that. <laughs> you know, like I, I have, I have my life works for me and it's okay, but I don't know, like the idea of being in recovery just sounds very, very, you know, posh. And, and I, I just don't see that in myself. I feel like I'm managing my eating behaviors. Beautiful way to describe it. And yeah, yeah. And that's good enough for me. So, so yeah, I mean, I guess maybe between you and me and the world of this podcast, I might say I'm in recovery, but even then I'm hesitant to say sure. it. Absolutely. I think you bring up a really good point about, again, that perception that recovery needs to look perfect. And that, you know, (laughs) actually, we talk about recovery, and that it is, it makes sense, especially if I've struggled with an eating disorder in the past that I may, you know, continue to have thoughts about it, or I may even have a breakthrough Mm -hmm. behavior where I may use a symptom. But it is Really, recovery is about how quickly I can then return to recovery-like behaviors. Right, yeah. right, and and that's that's a good point, and that's something I should probably write down <laughs> in a few spots and put on post-it notes because. I love it. <laughs> and I mean, but doesn't it doesn't it just make sense that for somebody who has eating disordered thinking, of course they are going to think that recovery that's is perfect right. because. To me, eating was either perfect or it was terrible. Like there was no in between. And so that's why I think of recovery too. And and now that I know about recovery, um, eating is not. There are plenty of days when I go over a calorie allotment if I were to have one or whatever, you know? There are plenty of days where I eat a food where someone might say, Ooh, that's bad for you. I'm not gonna say that, but somebody else might. But that doesn't mean that the next day I, you know, feel bad about it or that it sends me into that spiral. So maybe, 
maybe that's what my recovery is. I can break that cycle. Wow. I can break that cycle. Oh, yeah. It just feels so, so important that you name it that way. I mean, I wish people could see me. I'm giving yeah. you thumbs up and high fives. And I know. I'm just so deeply, deeply proud of you. And like what Thank a you. joy I, to have watched your evolution into you. recovery. I mean, you know, and as I say it, I feel pretty yeah, darn proud too, Karen. Yeah, I'm gonna start like, to cry, Amy. I'm just I remember telling you once last summer, I um I started running and uh, not perfectly, but for whatever reason I'm fine with that. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> but and I I there's this park I go to and this trail that I go around and it's beautiful and I just love it. And somewhere about halfway around, it's a 3-mile trail. I, I remember this feeling came to me of the lifting the weight of of this disordered thinking is better than losing any amount oh. of weight, like physical weight that somebody could ever could. Like freeing my mind and just being able to wake up in the morning and not not think, God, I'm so gross. Like that is huge. You know, that, that is really, really huge. And it's, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself too. It's just like (laughs) such a transformation. And you did that. Yeah. Like you, you I know, right. Like you get to own all of that work and all the feeling that you were able to tolerate. You got to that place of freedom. And you know, it's still a struggle. Like there are days, um, just this week, actually, I made it, I go to the gym and I do this extra, this class and I love it. And yesterday I had some extra time before the class started. So I went and I was walking on the treadmill and as I was walking, I was like, this just feels so easy, you know? And like, I was just walking on the treadmill. I had the, like the elevation up a little bit and I was zipping along and I'm like, well, this doesn't even feel hard. And when I got home, I did the class and when I got home last night, I was like, it feels really good to be proud of my body and of what I just did. And, and then like feeling uncomfortable that I feel That's good, right. right? Yeah. So then I'm like, well, now what do I do? That's right. <laughs> you know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to feel good. No. Like that's, that's very foreign. And so, yeah, so working through that and it doesn't go away, right. you know, like you, I'm always working on processing my feelings, but it's, it's like just being, knowing that I can do wow. it. I love it. It's so big to oh, me. It's yeah. So it's just, it's so huge, Amy. It's so, it's just comforting. Yeah. Well, I love that you bring up, yeah. you know, sometimes part of our work in therapy is, you know, kind of naming and being able to tolerate the hard, right? The, the sadness, the negativity, the discomfort, the maybe hard feelings. But actually, mm-hmm. sometimes the work also is tolerating the joy and the good, and the accomplishment, and the validation, sometimes that can feel just as foreign. Way more foreign than the negative for me. Um, You know, and in my family, if you were proud of yourself, you were bragging, and it was a, it was bad. And 
So I never knew what it felt like to be proud of myself. And I can remember even saying to you, well, it's not like I've done all that much in my life. And you were like, what? And you started listing my accomplishments. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess. Like, Like it was no big deal. And you were like, that is a big deal. And so, yes, even... It's uncomfortable for me to be happy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, I know, how silly, right? But like a real happiness, not like the fake one, not the one that I'm putting on so that I, nobody else is uncomfortable, but the one that like is true right. and it's hard right. and it's hard to find people who acknowledge that truth, you know? So it's definitely been a learning experience and- Sometimes I do feel like my, I feel the joy on <laughs> my right. own. Yes, you do. <laughs> like there, I don't have anybody to share That's it right. with, but you know what? Still yours. It's okay. You know, there likely are listeners right now who are working on their own recovery and any messages mm. you'd like to share with them, Amy? You know, it's hard, but it is so worth it. And you are worth it. I just, I just wish people could realize that this is not, this is not the way your life has to be, you know, and no one should, should go through that kind of self-loathing and self-destruction every day. And so if you are working on your recovery, keep going. It's, it gets better every day. Like it really does. And yes, you will have hard days. You will have hard moments. Um, But, you know, just (laughs) pause, take a step back and be curious about what's going on. (laughs) In the words of Karen. (laughs) Exactly. Like just notice. Hmm, That's interesting. Yeah. I, I just, I just wish people could try give themselves the chance to to find something better because it's so worth it that's it so worth it i love it well i cannot thank you enough this conversation just has been an absolute delight thank you so much amy Hmm. thank you thank you and thank you melrose center couldn't have done it without you that's it for today thanks for joining me we've covered a lot so i encourage you to let it settle and filter in And as I tell my patients at the end of every session, take notice, pay attention, and we'll take it as it comes. I'll talk to you next time. Melrose Heals, a conversation about eating disorders, was made possible by generous donations to the Park Nicolette Foundation.